There are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. Document management, printing, IT support, digitization, data security and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs. Saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work from anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk The Go Radio Business Show with Sir Tom Hunter and Lord Willie Hockey with Workflow Solutions. Morning, Thomas. Good morning, Willie. Thomas, never a dull moment. Just when we thought everything was all over and things were quieting down. Ah, well, I don't think you or I ever thought everything was all over, Willie. Politics is a never-changing feast, I would say. So I know that over the years we've had quite a good rapport with um, John Swinney, the Minister, and obviously the news that he's, you know, he's quitting the government. I mean, what do you feel about that? Yeah, so with our relationship with John Swinney, he was our main contact in the Scottish government with the Hunter Foundation. And we did many things with him, many good things. Scottish Edge really came about because of John Swinney and um, the Head Teacher Leadership Academy, where we're putting every head teacher in Scotland through a leadership academy, again, backed by John Swinney. It wouldn't have happened without him. And I found him a very honest politician, which is perhaps is a bit rare these days. And I found him someone who could get to the nub of a, of a problem very quickly. So I think he will be sorely missed. Um, I think, obviously, the past few interactions with John, I felt John's energy was kind of failing and I felt his his just he he just seemed fed up with the whole thing if I'm perfectly honest but I think he'll be he'll be sadly missed and badly missed and his um experience and frank quite, quite frankly good heart will be missed by the Scottish government yeah no I know my dealings with John over the years I always found them very pleasant although we didn't agree you know, our politics would collide but I think that, uh, as you say, he was he was honest. If he said he would try and do something, he would try and do it. And if it was a no, he would come back and tell you. But um, I think I think it's a big, big blow to the SNP because obviously, you know, he's been at the heart of of everything for the last 15, 20 years. So I think that um, that would be a big, big void to fill. I mean, Willie, how do you think this reads through to the leadership candidates? Because it's been kind of obvious to me that... Um, the previous leadership of the SNP want a continuity candidate being Hamza Youssef. Um, how do you think this will change that, if at all? Well, obviously, the revelations this week about you know the head office trying to gerrymander how the hustings went and how the voting would go, I think has came as a huge bombshell. You know, obviously there's some of the people who've been involved with the party for many, many years not happy, in fact, very, very angry. You know, to, you know, this week you had, you know, one of the leaders of one of the CLPs, uh, sorry, <laughs> it's not like it's your Labour parties, one of the SFP <laughs> uh, local branches um, resigning. You know, a man who said he's committed 41 years of his life supporting the cause and all of that stuff, he was totally disgusted with the way that 
that um, someone operating on behalf of Hansa had managed to get a, a copy of all the email addresses, which is banned within the party, and um, she had emailed everyone. And I think that, that this is going against them. But how do I think it's going... Uh, I think Kate Forbes has had a lot of interesting things to say, especially in business, so she seems to be saying the right things. But I think where, um, where you know, Hamza made, made a big, big mistake, his idea on the hustings is just to attack Kate Forbes and what she's saying and to go after her beliefs. And I think the people really want to know what you're saying. But it's interesting, of the three candidates, he's the only person that wants to be spending the government's money in order to get him into power. <laughs> you know, there's giveaways left, right and centre. And Willie, I think I I said at the beginning of, of all this that it was amazing how the SNP had kept all their dirty laundry um, behind the media curtain and had kept a unified um, voice all these years, but I felt it was going to fall apart. So was this um, trying to do the hustings and the debate behind closed doors is that them trying to control that narrative, Willie? 100%. And not to, you know, all the modern things that have got them where they are, not to stream it, you know, no social media. Oh, 100%. I mean, this was this was diabolical. This this was the heart of a dictatorship, you know? Yeah. And, 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 and the proof is out there that actually members of the SNP, the opposition don't actually have to throw any bricks at them. The internal machine is turning against them. So I don't think... I don't think in the history of the SNP there's ever been such a civil war at such an important time when you're having to pick a new leader. And I think, to be honest with you, the more and more that that happens, it looks like head office is trying to gerrymander how it goes, and I actually 100% think that this will go against them. Right, so I've been... I, I listened this week to a podcast that over Zoom with Kate Forbes, organised by Reform Scotland, and... Um, she actually spoke from a business point of view a lot of the things we've been talking about, Willie. So things like, you know, you need a strong private sector to pay the taxes to pay for the public sector. There isn't a magic money tree. Um, she also said that she would pause this bottle return scheme, which we, we will come on and talk about in more detail. And she also talked quite intelligently, in my opinion, about the transition to net zero. She's not for just chopping it off today, letting um, our jobs go in Scotland and having to make Norway or other countries rich. So she talked about that. So I was actually quite encouraged from a business point of view. Um, I'll look forward to listening to the other two candidates and seeing what they've got to say about business. But certainly... Kate Forbes is leading the way in terms of business conversations. What what do you think, Willie? I think, to sum it up, she is trying to portray a pragmatic and sensible route to independence. You know, she understands that if you can get business on board, if you can prove to the people that we would thrive as an independent business, uh, sorry, country, uh, and, and growing business is a huge part of that, then I think she's absolutely... And I'm delighted, I'm absolutely delighted that it looks like the rank and file believe that, and that's what we want as a nation. Yeah, I, I was a bit um, taken aback that Kate Forbes did say that um, after the next election, if they won over 50% of the vote, she would go for a referendum within three months. 
I mean, I just think if there was an easy way to the referendum, Nicola Sturgeon would have found it. I think she was being cute there. I think she knows there's no chance of getting over 50% of the vote. <laughs> yeah, oh, well. I think she was being cute. Yeah, so, but I, I think that um, this whole thing, you know, we thought it would kind of be, oh, let's wait and see what happens. But obviously, things are happening now every week. You know, like this, the, the, the gerrymandering, the hustings, what's going on. All the tickets were sold out immediately. So it was like, you know, tell tell who we want to get there first. It was, it was actually amazing. And and I'm really, really surprised that the media who were being excluded were not up in arms. But to be fair, they, they, they had a rethink about that very, very quickly. But I tell you what, it'd have been really interesting if they'd hold fire and they wouldn't have allowed the, the media into, the, into their hustings. That would have been yeah. interesting to watch. I found this astounding. The the party that says they're all about transparency had a blackout on the debates. I mean, you couldn't make this stuff up, Molly. Sputnik TV. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, um, let's see what happens in the next few days, Willie. It's never a dull moment right now. Trying to keep up with this is quite difficult, I must tell you. I wish they could go on it so we can go on to talk about business. <laughs> I know, I know. Well... Well, talking about business, um, there's been some interesting and quite worrying. I'm looking for the positive here. I'm I'm struggling. The UK inflation was saying that grocery bills were up 17%, Willie. 17.1%. So how, wow. how, how does the Chancellor think that he can get inflation to 5% by the end of this year? It's impossible. Right, so the next meeting of, of your friend Andrew Bailey at the Bank of England and the rate-setting committee is March the 23rd. So I've, I've said previously that I think it could it could be held where it is or it could be a maximum of another 25 bips. What do you think? I think the government now seeing inflation will be quietly putting Andrew Bailey in a stranglehold to see that if he will keep the interest rates at what they are. If he puts up by 50 bips or 25, then there's no chance of them being on target to bring inflation down, especially when food, not only now uh, is inflationary set at some point, now there's a scarcity of food. That will not help with the, the price of food. So I think there's a whole reset here and I think this week, you know, sends a strong message, especially to the Chancellor, you know, but um, yeah, so, what, so, what might help, so but, to be fair, what might help, Tom, what might help is the the new Windsor Agreement. I think this could help business in a big, big way, more than so? anything else. Yeah, more than the right. politics of it. Yeah, but the, the problem we've got is, is that, that uh, Richie Sunak and the team have done a great job. And I think, to be fair, I think Europe will try to stick it to Boris, right? And and Mr. Frost, who done the deal, and I'm not talking about Jack Frost. <laughs> they, they, they obviously gave away things that they would not give to Boris Johnson's team. And on the face of it, it's great, isn't it? The Tories do a bad deal and try to take all the credit for doing a good deal. Um, but I think that... Um, that this could be really good for business. It could be good for the business in, in the UK. I want some of the, the the suppliers in Belfast and and in the north of Ireland talking about there was actually people now refusing to supply them because it was too much bother. That the, the guys weren't, the lorry drivers weren't willing to wait and wait and wait. So now, this is for 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 business in the north. This is a fantastic fantastic agreement. 
but the problem you've got is the DUP are hiding behind any excuse not to go back to Stormont to be led by Sinn Féin. And that's a shame because Sinn Féin obviously have been happy to be in the Assembly for many, many years with the DUP leading it. So for Sammy Wilson and the rest of the people who are jumping up and down, I think that really the, the argument they're putting up is nonsense. So this is getting a bit above my pay grade, Willie, in terms of Northern Ireland politics. You obviously know more about it than I do. But I would like to give Rishi Sunak a pat in the back here because I think his statecraft in getting this over the line shows that good old negotiation is still alive and kicking. You know, Boris was all bluster and threatening, whereas Rishi Sunak can sit down and say, right, what's my opponent's point of view? Here's my point of view. Is there a middle way where we can have a win-win. And I think he and his team have come out of this. Um, I did notice Boris Johnson doesn't agree with it, but of course he wouldn't, because he couldn't do it. But um, I think Sunak's did a decent job. And one other thing, Willie, um, and you might have the answer to this, I'm, a, I'm actually phoning in from France this week, and in, the, in order to do some investigation for the Go Radio Business Show, you'll be proud of me, I actually went to the supermarket here to see if there was any fruit and veg. And I can exclusively reveal in France, there's no problem getting fruit and veg. So what's the problem in Britain? You're right, it's all about it's about transport. Again, it's about the logistics, it's about the cost of that, everything. And, and there's no doubt in my mind, Tom, that since we agreed or some, most of them agreed to leave the European Union, that Europe have kind of stuck a couple of fingers up to us and said, you know what, yeah, you'll get it when you get it. And, and I'd just like to go back to your point about Boris, I, 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 sorry, about Richie Sunak, and I'll come on to a point about Boris. Richie Sunak and his team, on the face of it, have done a good job. But the only thing that has changed here was the attitude of the European Union. So if we wanted proof that this was sticking it to Boris, it's all there. UK never gave up anything. It was it was the EU that changed and agreed to how the border and how the the, the you know the red lane and the green lane would 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 work. But what it has done, which is great news for us all, it certainly put an end to any talk of Boris's comeback. Well, that's good news for me because he was a terrible prime minister. <laughs> so let let me take you down down the route for something else. Obviously, there's been a few policy decisions made by the Scottish Government and their partners in crime, the Greens. Um, but this week, the deposit return scheme, the bottle return scheme, has come to the fore because we had the first closure and businesses had to sign up to it. Now, as usual, we can't get a clear picture of how many signed up, how many didn't. My information is telling me that 84% of drinks companies have not signed up. And I was I was taken by a piece in the Times this week, and it was it was looking at it from the small retailer's point of view. And there was a small retailer from Bells Hill, um, Abdul Majid, who MBE actually, who runs a Nissa store in Bells Hill. He's a former president of the Grocers Federation, which my dear old dad was involved with, and he put it very clearly that buying, installing, running these reverse vending machines was going to cost his business about a thousand pounds a week. 
Now, if ever there was a case for the policymakers asking people who knew what was happening, did anybody pick up the phone to Abdul? No, they didn't. And this, you know, deposit return schemes happen all around the world and they happen positively. But Scotland has mucked it up because one size doesn't fit all. What helps a small retailer in Bells Hill isn't what's going to help Diageo or some of the of the huge companies in this. And I'm really livid about this. We have come up and n- nobody's really disagreeing about getting this and getting greener, but we are violently disagreeing how to do it. I mean, where do you think this is going to end, Willie? Well, it's just a continuation of the lack of understanding by the Green Party of business. It follows on from the rent rise debacle, which is now a complete shambles. And it's fair to say, to to be fair to Lorna Slater, she's been out there for the past three weeks. Since the rent freeze bill fell apart, Patrick Harvey's been nowhere to be seen. Nowhere to be seen or heard. It's diabolical. And, And... this is a business show, and I know sometimes maybe people listening and think it's a, a politics show. It's not. We're only talking about here about where the politics interferes with business, right? And when you are a party where at the heart, right, of your manifesto is no n- non-growth, how do you pay for things? Why don't you come on the TV and explain to people how that works? How yep. can you explain to all the civil servants who are all out at the moment, you know, trying to get a pay rise, which, you know, they, they deserve? How do you explain to them, where's the money going to come from? Because this small party over here, which is holding up the government, don't want us to grow. And it's interesting, I don't know if you've seen it today, but actually Lorna's been getting a bit of stick for the latest photo opportunity where she signed an agreement yesterday for the reforestation of Scotland, whatever, allegedly in a £2 billion deal. Again, the company who's doing it are getting a handout for the government, but it's great. I mean, I'm all for reforestation, but what people said to today is, how in one hand can you say you're anti-growth and this is a huge business opportunity? Are you going to have to clarify it? And she's been getting, you know, she's been getting pelters for it, you know, over the last uh, day or so. But I think, Tom, that the point that you're making, the point we've been waiting for weeks and weeks and weeks, whoever's in government... Every time you think that you want to lay down a new policy or a new bill, take twice as long to look at the negative. Listen to the people who will have to deliver on that policy or who have to go and spend the capital that you've just told us about here from the shopkeeper in Bells Hill, that the downside to this bill is enormous. And it's not, it's all dressed up behind a green, you know, initiative. It's not. Right, there's better green initiatives. You know, we've mentioned it for weeks and weeks. That, you know, this week again, it's been, you know, they've been mentioning about heat pumps. I'm on my favourite subject. Right. <laughs> oh, but no, not, not heat pumps. Right, seriously, <laughs> if you really want to do the best for people, the government were getting pelters this week because they've only got one heat pump in 17 major buildings. They should be delighted they've only got one heat pump. They should have none. <laughs> so I think that what we need to do is, I've got an idea, Tom. Right, right? okay. See whoever becomes the next First Minister. Yes. We're going to lobby, right, that before they produce any more bills, they've got to spend two weeks with me and you, and we will bring in the experts, whatever it is in that field, to tell them if they're right or wrong with that policy. <laughs> Save all this well, grief. I admire your positivity. 
Aunt Willie, I hear an exclusive for the Go Radio Business Show. You're going to lead the good news for this week. Yes. So, Willie, what's the good news well, for Well, we've had the two bad, now for the two good, two good. <laughs> um, great to see that the um, profits at Wheels were up. Great Scottish institution. Indeed, the yeah. Profits are up 17% to £260 million. And also... Great, and great news for a couple of lads who are always investing their money down in Greenock, down in Port Glasgow, where it really needs it, to the Easdale brothers, that they have managed to finally secure, um, you know, uh, a new planning application where I think they're going to build double the amount of houses that we're going to build down there in the old IBM factory. Well done. Right. And by yep. the way, and congratulations for not giving up and fighting all the way till you got that. So to to Stephen McCabe and all the guys at the council doing in Greenland, well done, because that's definitely a positive move. Yeah, good. And um, I read this week on a investigation by R3. I don't know who R3 is, but they have put out that the startups in Scotland are at a five-month high. And we are really motoring in the startup sector. And as we all know, startups moving to scale up are the lifeblood of the Scottish economy. So that's got to be good news, Willie. Yeah, definitely. And I, and I think that once the, you know, the furora of the leadership campaign is over and the country has a new leader, I think we really need a reset. I think we need yeah. a reset. I hope so. Also this week... Tom, something that is a day to me in your heart. Housing, Persimmons have reported a, a £200 million drop in their net profit. You know, it's terrible. They've done for 927 to 682. Right? <laughs> I wish we had the same problem. Yes, but but, the, but, but the, the worrying thing about the rest of, of the statement is that they reckon they're going to build half of the houses that they built last year. Yeah, so um, Persimmons came out Taylor Wimpy came out and said the same sort of thing. Um, they're seeing some green shoots, but they reckon they're going to complete half what they built last year. And the bottom line here, Willie, is the housing market is very cyclical in the UK. Um, we have a big shortage of homes, both um, bought homes and rented homes. And this is going to add to that. In the long run, we may think this is good news, but in the long run, this is going to starve the supply side and it's going to lead to higher prices. Well, also on that same theme that you see that um, the drop in house prices is the, has been the most significant in the last 10 years this year. Yep. And I don't know if you've seen it as well, there's a major slump in Sweden. In oh, right. I didn't, I, I didn't see that. House right. prices have dropped by 11% which is huge, huge. To, 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 to finish on, a, on another word to the government, but really something that affects business, we are seeing that the energy prices are falling and the you know, uh, off-gems market cap dropping. The UK government is expected to save significantly on the expected energy spend. I'd like to know what the, what the government are actually doing now to get the, the cost to go down as fast as they went up. Right, because there's, there's, at the moment, there's absolutely no rationale behind why, why people should be paying two and three times what they were paying last year because things seem to have went back to normal. So, Willie, do you think, we've never been able, well, I've never been able to work it out, but do you think the government has any control over this? 
I don't think they've got any control because it's private enterprise, but what they certainly can do is I think that the people have been getting gouged, right? And what you do is, you know, just threaten to nationalise them if you keep robbing the people the way the French did the way back in the day. And I think <laughs> that will certainly get people to come round the table anyway and listen. But um, <laughs> I think that uh, definitely something has to be done because... They're now going to um, stop the cap. They're going to stop the, the the money that we've been getting, I think, come April. So if the bills continue to come, the, I'd already said a few weeks ago, to be fair, I have managed to get a contract for mine which is less than half of what I could get three months ago. So that's good right. news for everyone. But this, we, we can't let this go on. The government's got to have more control than what happens here. Here, here. Coming next, Hunter and Hockey chat to Professor Dame Heather J. McGregor, the Provost and Vice Principal of Heriot Watt University, Dubai. The Go Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions, turning your paper based processes into an organised digital archive. Go Radio! There are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently document management, printing, IT support, digitization, data security and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs, saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work from anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk. The Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. This week's special guest is Professor Dame Heather J. McGregor, the Provost and Vice Principal of Heriot Watch University, Dubai. Professor McGregor was awarded a CBE in the 2015 Queen's Birthday Honours List and in the 2023 New Year's Honours List, she was made a Dame of the British Empire for services to education, business and heritage in Scotland. We're absolutely delighted today to have as our guest Professor Dame Heather J. McGregor, DBE, FRSE, as Provost and Vice Principal of Heriot Watt University in Dubai. Professor McGregor was previously the Executive Dean of the Edinburgh Business School, having held the post since 2016. Her earlier career was in investment banking and she spent 17 years as an entrepreneur, leading her own executive search firm prior to her move into higher education. Heather, it's a pleasure to have you on the show today. Thank you very much. Yes, Heather, I am particularly interested in hearing your story of how you get academia, the public sector with an entrepreneur. So I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I always wanted to end up um, in a university, but I never thought I would do it as a leader. I always thought I would, uh, you know, finish my days out as an entrepreneur sell my company on an earnout, and then maybe work part-time to supplement my pension by working three days a week or something, teaching business. And, and that, that was my plan. And to make it possible, I, I remembered to do a PhD along the way. <laughs> um, that was my, kind of my back pocket uh, ready for that pension supplement plan. But then what happened was in 2016, Harriet Watt got in touch with me and said, would I like to come and run their business school? And I was just blown away by that opportunity to move to Scotland, to work in a business school that, you know, had the longest serving distance learning program in the world. So I would have students all over the world in 190 countries and, and to really be able to take 
my enthusiasm for entrepreneurship and business and, and share it with thousands and thousands of people. And I, I just thought that was the most amazing opportunity. And so I did that. I quit everything and I moved to Scotland. And how did you find that? Cold. <laughs> <laughs> and, and with a higher rate of income tax. But, but apart from that, <laughs> no, I absolutely loved it. I, and you know what? I have did, never regretted it for a minute. There's, people say to me sometimes, do you regret walking away from your business and, um, and never selling it and never reaping the benefits of all those years of hard work? But I think I did get a lot of benefit from all those years of hard work. And I certainly think I'm a better leader and a better teacher for having been an entrepreneur. Can you tell our listeners, um, Heather, a bit about the, your, you know, your entrepreneurial journey for the start of the business and when you decided to leave? Mm. So I didn't start my business, I bought it. Yeah. And, you know, starting a business is not the only way uh, into an entrepreneurial journey. There is lots of different ways in. I personally bought my business. I borrowed a lot of money from the bank uh, at a time when banks were still prepared to lend entrepreneurs money. Although I have to say that um, it took me quite a long time to find a bank that, that would do it. You know, I wore out a lot of shoe leather finding a bank in the end. And I, I borrowed all that money and I bought it in stages. I joined the company that I wanted to buy. And at the time I joined it, I took an option over 20% of the company. And then I exercised that option two years later. And, and then that put me in a position to be able to negotiate to buy the rest of it. So I, it was a staged purchase, um, and it was all funded with debt. Wow. Was, was it all bank debt, or did you have any VC involvement in the business? No, I didn't take any VC money. I've got an allergic reaction to sharing equity with anyone at all. So <laughs> I, I constructed um, a, a deal whereby, in the end, I got mezzanine financing. So I got lent the money. And the, the bank that lent me the money, this is a long time ago now, it was a bank that doesn't exist anymore called Singer and Freelander. They, they asked for an equity kicker. And I said, how much money did they think they would get from these shares that they wanted as an equity kicker? And they said, £50,000. I said, fine, we'll do a deal where where I repay you, I'll pay you an end payment of £50,000. So we constructed it so that when I finally repaid the debt, I had to pay an additional £50,000. So, so, the, right. so here's this is a good point for our listeners. So, here is someone, uh, a bit like myself, who believes in not giving away equity, but are happy to pay that bit more for finance rather than give away a bit of the business. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That cost me fifty thousand pounds extra, but I felt that was much better than than being in a position of having to share equity. And I and I really believe that. And you know what? I did give away some equity. I gave away, and in the end, I gave away the whole company. But along the way, I shared 15% yeah. of, of equity, but with my staff, not with some faceless bank. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. And um, Heather, can I ask, where did you learn these skills of dealing with the banks, saying no to the equity, but coming up with a balloon payment at the end of the debt, where did, you, where did you glean all that um, experience? So I, I spent my um, early years working inside a public company, helping to structure its debt. And then I did an MBA at the London Business School and went and worked in an investment bank until right. I was 38. So I, I had a long career in finance before I became an entrepreneur. And I've right. always said that, you know, financial literacy is so important for everybody. And it doesn't matter whether you're an entrepreneur or not, frankly. If, you've, if you're ambitious and you want 
to lead a company, whether it's your own company or somebody else's. You won't get there unless you are financially literate. Yes. Yes. Very good. You learn very quickly. Yes, actually, I've learned learned very quickly and I've also learned quite late. You know, when we went into lockdown in 2020, by then I'd been working at Harriet Watt for four years. And I thought, what am I going to do with my time now? You know, I'm, I'm getting on a bit and... And I'm here at Harriet Watt, and I've and I haven't got to go travelling anymore because of COVID. So I know what I'll do. I'll qualify as an accountant. And so exactly a year ago, I qualified as a chartered management accountant. And <laughs> you know what? That was a great thing to do in COVID. It was. It, it took me two and a half years in the end and five exams. But do you know what? It was really worth it. And I'm so glad to finally prove to everybody that I do know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I had a similar experience, Heather. It was 50 years since I'd picked up a set of drumsticks and during COVID I bought a drum kit. So I bet you my wife's my wife would have rather that I became an accountant. <laughs> and um, Heather, just to let you know, Willie proved to everybody that he couldn't play the drums. So that's Heather, during, during uh, a lot of times in the programme, we've been debating, you know, for weeks and weeks about, you know, is there more women coming into business? Um, we, we, uh, me and Tom's experience through, you know, Tom with the edge and as we entrepreneurial spark and, you know, we'll be back to entrepreneurial exchange. We believed that, you know, that there is more and more women coming into business. How did you find things in your time at the, at the business school? Um, so there are definitely more and more women coming into business and, you know, I really have tried at various times of my life to encourage more and more women into business. I think there's a big difference between the amount of risk a woman is prepared to take quite often to a man. And I try and encourage a risk-taking mindset in the women that I mentor and sponsor and support because I think that's where they've got natural hesitancy uh, but but business generally i am seeing increasing numbers of women and and actually i was one of the people who back in 2010 uh, co-founded the 30% club with helena morrissey i mean we went out to campaign for more women on boards in 2010 and at that time there were only 12% of board positions in the FTSE 100 and that's just the FTSE 100 let alone the other two and a half thousand quoted companies um that only 12% of board directors were women. And I'm pleased to say that today, as we're chatting, it's over 40. Wow. Wow. And I I believe Anna Stewart is putting a document together for the government, I think maybe published this week, um, you know, about women in business and, you know, where are the opportunities and where are the barriers. So that'll be interesting. And I think we're going to have Anna on in the next few weeks to to talk about that. That'll be good. Excellent. Well, I wrote a book called Careers Advice for Ambitious Women, which is still my best-selling book. And in that, I highlighted the 10 reasons I thought that women didn't accelerate their careers more. Um, but but and one of those was financial literacy. And so I do, I do think that investing time in understanding the finances of wherever you work, be that in the public sector or the private sector, a startup or a big company, it's really worth your while. Yeah. Right. So, so Heather, can I just take you back a little bit in your journey because you've now bought into the company. It's an executive search company, is that correct? That's correct, yes. Right. And now you're you're working away there and you've got the chance to buy the remaining 80%. Was, is that correct? 
That's correct, yes. So, so the first thing I should tell you is the first 20% was, took a lot of courage because I took that, um, I took out that option to buy the first 20% when I joined the company in 2000. And, uh-huh. and you gentlemen are uh, of a similar vintage to me, and you will all remember what happened in 2001, which was yeah. that we had the dot crash. Yeah. And and so come 2002, when I could exercise my option, the exercise price had been set in 2000. And ah, right. frankly, I overpaid for that 20%. And okay. I had a choice at that point because it was an, it was an option. It wasn't, a, a, you know, I, I could have walked away. I didn't have to exercise it. The other thing is I could have done was I could have gone and tried to renegotiate the exercise price. And, yes. But I didn't do that. And the reason I didn't do it was because I didn't want to break the trust of the people I was buying the business from. And I Very thought good. I just have to grip my teeth and pay up because that way they'll trust me and then they'll negotiate with me for the other 80%. Is there is there a hunger to get that 80% or are you happy the way that it's, it's, it's running at the moment? No, 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 there was a real hunger to get the 80%. But I didn't feel I would even get a seat at the table if I didn't get that original 20%. Yeah. So I, I, I'd actually worked in the company. By the time I got my 20%, I'd worked in the company for 18 months. Right. I then got, I then exercised at this rather overly inflated price um, and um, got my 20%. And literally from that moment on, I was trying to work out how to get the other 80%. I really was. And, and right. who's, who's driving that business today? Um, my, my former colleagues who are now driving that business today oh, and um, led by a very, very able young man called Matthew Wall. Uh, and they're doing an amazing job. The whole business turned 40 last September. A 40-year-old business that's been under three sets of ownership uh, is, is quite something these days. So let, let's give it a plug. Let's tell the listeners the name of the company. Oh, it's called Taylor Bennett. Yeah. And it's an executive search company uh, that will that specialises in communications. So any kind of PR, communications, investor relations, employee communications, government lobbying, all of those kind of jobs, that's the kind of person it will find. Heather, tell us about how you divested of this company then, because I think that's interesting for our listeners. Mm. Well, this kind of company is the kind of company you can really only sell for a commercial price if you stay in it, especially if, you know... like me, you're quite a major part of it. I mean, we all know um, headhunters in Scotland, for instance, that have have changed ha- executive search companies that have changed hands um, in Scotland and have um, and had to do an earnout whereby the, the vendor stays in the business. And in fact, you know, Tom and Willie, when I bought the company, I made the vendors stay in the business, and uh, and I paid them out over three years. Right. So I okay. knew. Yeah, I knew that if I wanted to sell the business for a commercial valuation, I would have to stay in it. And Harriet Watt made it absolutely clear to me that I had one chance to become a full professor and join the university, and I had to and I had to arrive within three months of their offer. Wow! So <laughs> it was the, it was at that point it was like okay, well, I'm never going to get a commercial price for the company if if I go to Harriet Watt, and I just had to. I had to come to terms with that, and I had to come to terms with it very quickly. And the person who had a bit more trouble with this, actually coming to terms with it, was my husband. Who, right. <laughs> and, and 30 years of marriage nearly lasted about 30 minutes at that point. Wow. <laughs> 
So was he saying, you now think about it, think about it a bit longer? He said, I can't believe you could do this. He said, you know, you because we I made everybody sell our house at one point and go into a rented house and everything. I can't believe you've done all of these things and now you're going to effectively walk away from the business. And I, I tried to understand why he was so upset. And then I realised that actually the only thing that really matters to my husband is that he continues to be able to afford his golf club membership. So <laughs> I, I said, I promised him that he would continue to be able to play golf. And, and then he calmed down. What did your colleagues think of that big decision? Do you know, my colleagues were really unhappy about it. Yeah. You would think, wouldn't you, yes. that I would say to them, look, you lot, I'm now going to walk away, let you all run the place, you can do what you want with it, and, and eventually I'll sign it over to you. Um, and you'd think they'd jump for joy at, at being handed a business that had made a consistent profit at that point for, you know, golly, uh, something like 30-something years, 35 years. But they... Uh, were all absolutely furious. Um, they thought I would, it was like a family. They thought I would be there with them. They thought that we would sell together um, and, and do the earn out together. And the, they, they had to say, they weren't nasty about it or anything, but they were not jumping for joy, believe me. And the other thing is that, you know, when I was going into public life as, as the head of a business school, I couldn't afford to have a failed business behind me. So what I said to them was, look, I'm leaving it with you. You run it. I appointed Matthew as the, as the managing director. You run it. I want to see the management accounts every month. I want to have a board meeting every month. I'm going to take a director's fee, but you can decide what to do with it. You can decide how to allocate bonuses and profit and everything else and what to reinvest and how much working capital to keep. And then if you don't stuff it up, I will transfer all the shares to you in two years' time. And how have they done? They did absolutely brilliantly. And so, you know, after two years, I, I, I had to write a tax clearance because, do you know... Uh, for all the publicity around, you know, Richer Sounds and all these other companies that have done similar things, you cannot actually gift a business to somebody to whom you are not married without them getting a very large tax bill. Yes. And me and Tom both know that. So, um, Heather, just to be clear for our listeners, you gifted your shares in the company to the existing shareholders for for no financial gain for yourself? No. So what I did was I um, I technically sold them the business for a nominal sum. Right. Yeah. Yes, for no wow. financial gain to myself. I took a final dividend and uh, and, and sold the business to them for a nominal sum. Yeah, that bore no relation to the previous year's profits at all whatsoever. So can I just understand your thought because you're you're obviously worldly wise in business um, but now you want to go to the business school and you're willing to do that so just uh, you know this is an incredible story so can you just talk me through your thought process to that decision well you know Harriet Watt is is the most amazing university it was founded 201 years ago in Edinburgh by people who, um, Leonard Horner, who, who was also, who founded Edinburgh Academy, actually, amongst other things. But this is 1821. This is before Victoria was on the throne. I mean, this is an awfully long time ago. And they had a vision that they would, um, that they would create a night school so that working class people could upskill themselves and get better jobs. I mean, what an amazing, amazing birth of any yep. 
educational yeah. institution, yeah. okay? So I had always known this about Harriet Watt. I'd always known that this was its vocation. And one of the things I knew about it was that it had this amazing MBA program that with over 10,000 students in, in, all over the world, a third of which were in sub-Saharan Africa. And I was being invited to become a full professor and the head of this entire business school. And, and I just thought, do you know what? I can make an impact on thousands and thousands of people rather than, you know, the few hundred that I was making the impact on before. And I was never going to make the kind of material gain that you two gentlemen have made in your professional lives because whatever I sold my business for, however many millions of pounds, it, it wasn't going to be hundreds of millions. So my, my impact that I could use by giving away or investing my wealth would be quite limited. Whereas the impact I would have by going to run a business school with tens of thousands of students would be absolutely phenomenal. And, and I realised then, suddenly, in the moment where they offered me the job, that what really mattered to me was making a difference. And it mattered more than money. And it mattered, I mean, obviously, you know, I'm, I'm not starving to death. I, I can still pay for that golf club membership. <laughs> but it, but, but it's, it's really amazing when, you know, when, when you're absolutely put on the spot, you suddenly learn what matters. Well, Heather, I think that is an amazing act. Um, I didn't know the story before you coming on today, but I think that's an amazing selfless act. So good on you. Oh, thank you. I was. I, I, it sounds selfless, but actually it was quite selfish. You know, <laughs> I left them all in the company. I moved to Scotland um, and, and, and left everybody behind. And my, my poor husband turned up a year later clutching his golf clubs and saying, are we going to carry on living in a one-room flat in the middle of Edinburgh. Can we get a house now, please? And <laughs> I, 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 to me, actually, it felt quite selfish, to be honest, at the time, because I went to follow my ambition and my heart. Um, and that, that honestly, it, it, is a, it is an unusual story, I'll give you that. And I'm just, I do want yeah. to say to people, I didn't have the normal routine. I didn't start anything in my garage, nothing like that. But I had 17 years of, of being an entrepreneur with all the ups and downs that came with that. Um, many, many ups, of course. Um, and at the end, I was very fortunate that I was able to hand my business over to a group of highly committed people who now are running it absolutely brilliantly. Dame Heather, I am sure that the people of Scotland... Right, will benefit greatly from this wonderful decision that you made from going from being an entrepreneur to going into academia and trying to make a difference for other people. Fascinating story. We're absolutely delighted to have you on the show this morning. And I'm sure that me and Tom will be delighted to catch up with you the next time that you're back in Scotland. Thank you so much. Thank you both as well. Thank you, Heather. It's, the story has blown my mind this morning. And um, that's not easy to do. So um, thank you so much for sharing this wonderful story and the best of luck in whatever you decide to do. I, I think you're going to be a winner. Thank you. Oh, bless you. Well, I look forward to seeing both of you, hopefully, um, this year at some stage or other. Um, I'm back you know, at least five times between now and Christmas. Um, and uh, Scotland International will actually take place in the middle of, of, of COP28, which is happening here. So I don't quite know how that's all going to work. But at some point this year, I hope to see both of you. The Go Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions, turning your paper-based processes into an organised digital archive. Go Radio.
There are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. Document management, printing, IT support, digitization, data security and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs. Saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work from anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk The board you can't afford. This is the Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. And the board that you can't afford, we've got a question this week. It's been emailed in. And it is, Tom, what is the right balance of risk in business and how do you decide which risk to take and which risk not to take? Is it possible to really run a successful business without having an element of risk? Wow, quite a great question, Willie. So my initial thought on this is, Some of the great entrepreneurs who I've met or I've studied or read about, everybody thinks they're great risk takers. I would say they're great risk managers. And what I mean by that is when you're looking to invest, you're obviously balancing the pros and the cons, but you're managing the risk. So if we do this, what What's the downside? And there is a phrase that the upside always takes care of itself. So we're always looking to minimize the downside in any investment that which we're doing. And therefore, this image of entrepreneurs being swashbucklers and taking great risks, I don't see that happening. I think the great entrepreneurs are managing that risk. They understand it inside out. They understand every lever that they can pull in this new investment and they manage that risk. So what do you think, Willie? When I've been asked this question in the past, I always answer it in this way. People look at entrepreneurs as madcap, daring, rushing, you know, without any thought. I always say that we are like skydivers, but we're always taking two parachutes. So it's understanding the risk and definitely, you know, if the risk is over 50%, it's not worth doing. So is that what we call, I mean, your view is waiting. So you've got, you know, it's that set of scales, put all the upside there, the downside there, just we're talking about, about policy and then, but entrepreneurs are not as mad as people think. That's why most of them survive and prosper. Well, some of them are, Willie, and we know most of the mad ones, but One wee tip that we do at West Coast Capital when we're investing is when it comes down, we've done all our homework and we're sitting there deciding to do it or not, I will say, right, if this was twice the cost and it took twice as long, would we still do it? And if the answer is yes, we do it. If the answer is, oh, I don't know, we go away and do more homework. On risk, I can talk about probably... Um, the best example that I ever had where, where I got it wrong, right? And the listeners want to hear that. Uh, way back in the day, um, when when I was mostly concentrating on refrigeration and air conditioning, back in the early 90s, I was selling more bottle cooling cabinets than everybody in Britain put together, every other refrigeration company. And I just decided to get greedy. And I thought, wait a minute, I'm buying thousands of these off of this company. And... Um, I'm going to just start manufacturing myself. So I went and had a chat with a guy who was the chief sales guy for the company I was buying him off of. 
and very quickly I bought a factory down in Southport and the next thing I've got a 150,000 square foot manufacturing facility making bottle cooling cabinets. And this was a big risk for me because I'd never ever been involved in a business before that was capital intense. My business was always a service business and, and I was very, very lucky. I decided to make this after I'd had the investment and I'd taken some money off the table with three eggs. So, but what I'd done over, over a 18-month period was probably spend about £2 million buying the premises, setting up the equipment, marketing, all of that kind of stuff. And I have to be honest with you, I did not do a correct risk assessment. It was all driven by greed and try to take that margin that I thought was given to the manufacturers. And it turned out to be one of the worst mistakes I ever made in my life. It was just like wheeling out a wheelbarrow full of 20 pound notes and throwing them down a big <laughs> hole in the ground. And that <laughs> continued for a long, long time. In fact, um, it's fair to say that most of the cash that I got for selling the business went down that big hole. Wow. Uh, yeah, and so I did not carry out that risk assessment. I was completely driven by greed. Um, so there's a lesson for everyone, but it was a great lesson because I can tell you every business venture thereafter, I was probably over the top with data and, you know, everything was every, you know, we were crossing every T and dotting every I before we put a penny. And and also what it did do, it made me steer clear of capital intense businesses no matter how good or how bad they were. So for me, uh, no good on, on the risk question. That was the one time when I got it completely wrong. What were you talking about? Wow. Well, um, I think back to what was seen as a big risk at the time, not by me, but by everybody else, when we were building sports division and with the chance to buy Olympus. So Olympus was maybe eight times our size. But this is where it comes to managing the risk. So I knew our figures on sales per square foot, the margin and our costs. So those were my three key levers. And I knew Olympus's figures. And obviously sports divisions were much better than Olympus's. And I knew that if I could get Olympus's sales numbers to only half as good as my KPIs, then I had won the big watch. But the risk was an execution risk. Could a small company with a smaller team execute where these highly paid executives were, were not executing? They were losing 14 million. I was making four, but they were seen as the biggest in the UK. And therefore, when I sat down and looked at my risk reward ratio, I said, this is a no brainer. The biggest challenge I've got is can my team execute? And I knew my team, I knew my team were brilliant and I, I bet the ranch on them because I did borrow the money, I put my house on the line, um, but we borrowed the money from Peter Cummings at Bank of Scotland on November the 25th and by Easter of the following year, Willie, I had paid him all his money back. He was very miserable about that. <laughs> and Peter, I would, I would believe that. And, and, and just the, the upside to the end of my story, and this is the usual entrepreneur, uh, I closed the factory down, paid off all my debts. Uh, I didn't liquidate it. Just, I just um, ceased trading as a business, paid everybody off, and I kept the factory. 
Uh-huh. And you'll not believe it. Eight years later, I sold the factory and got all my money back that I'd lost <laughs> in the manufacturing company. <laughs> Two parachutes. <laughs> <laughs> I think you had 10 parachutes in that one, Willie. <laughs> the Go Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions. Helping your business with document management, print and IT solutions. Go there are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. Document management, printing, IT support, digitization, data security and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs. Saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work from anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk.